Everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm actually doing pretty good. We are still out at the coast, and it's been very, very relaxing. The only problem with that is, if I'm not annoyed by any of the little peccadilloes that life has to offer, then I kind of run out of things to talk about in these intros. So, let's see. uh, Sound baffling material. uh, Ceiling fans. Microphone. Ah, microphone. Okay. Uh, So... You know what's funny about microphones? Me either. So let's talk about a comic book. Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis is by James Satter. Before they were Defenders, they were called the Titans Three. There was Namor and the Hulk, plus a surfer, Silvery. They became the Defenders, thanks to Steven's sorcery, but they really came together when they added Valkyrie. Val's origins were tied to the plot of the Enchantress, who bestowed Val's mind inside the body of Barbara Norris. Then thanks to Black Knight, Val got herself a Pegasus, flying faithfully forward up through this synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, James. Defenders, number 114. December, 1982. Dance of Darkness, Dance of Light. Written by J.M. DeMatteis and Don Perlin. Drawed by Don Perlin. Inked by Mike Gustavich. Lettered by Shelley Lefferman. Colored by George Russos. And edited by Al Milgram. Defensive lineup. Nighthawk. Valkyrie. Doctor Strange. Son of Satan. The Incredible Hulk. Gargoyle. Beast. Namor. Silver Surfer, Scarlet Witch, The Vision, Hyperion, Dr. Spectrum, Amphibian, The Wizard, (laughs) Power Princess, Arcana, Golden Archer, Tom Thumb, Captain Hawk, Nuke, Lady Lark, and Mindy. Previously in the Defenders. An indeterminate amount of comic book time ago, billionaire do well bird enthusiast Kyle Richmond, a.k.a. Nighthawk, was attempting to reconcile with his psychic ex-girlfriend, Mindy. They had a complicated past. He had thought he killed her in a drunk driving accident. She had sent robo-hippies with laser guitars to murder him. But they had mostly put that behind them. Then, August Masters, a fascist former government agent with a Roman centurion fetish, kidnapped Mindy and a whole bunch of other psychics so that he could use their powers to murder everyone in Russia. The defenders thought that was a bad plan and attempted to intervene, but did a shitty job, so Mindy and the psychics fused their powers together and blew up the base where they were being held, destroying themselves, August Masters, and Kyle Richmond in a fiery explosion. Or did they? 
Because shortly after his alleged demise, Kyle awoke on an alternate universe version of Earth, wearing a slightly different Nighthawk costume. It turned out that this planet, which we'll call Earth-S, was the home of the Squadron Supreme, the sort of Halloween store analog for the Justice League. The Earth-S version of Kyle Richmond, who served as the Squadron Supreme stand-in for Batman, had recently been elected president, and predictably, everything had gone to shit. Soon after his election, President Kyle had started hanging out with Overmind, a big burly space guy with an elaborately manicured beard. Overmind was the last survivor of a race of space jerks who wanted to fuck up the universe. When their planned conquest failed and they were about to be wiped out, they dumped all several billion of their minds into Overmind and told him to destroy the universe for them. Overmind took over President Kyle's brain and had him turn Earth-S's America into a fascist police state. Can you imagine? The Squadron Supreme tried to interfere, so Overmind beat them up and took over their minds as well. Only Hyperion, the Halloween store version of Superman, managed to escape. He found original Flavor Kyle hiding out in the woods, and together they managed to summon Hulk, Son of Satan, and Namor, who had been floating around between dimensions because of a whole kerfuffle with Valkyrie's origin that thankfully has relatively little impact on the events of this issue. Hooray! Doctor Strange went looking for his missing non-teammates and was shocked to find them hanging out with Hyperion and a surprisingly not-exploded Kyle. Steve teleported in the rest of the gang, plus Silver Surfer, The Vision, and Scarlet Witch, who had been at the Defender's house for a party. Hyperion filled the assembled heroes in on the situation, adding that since he had gone into hiding with Kyle, Overmind had used the mind-controlled Squadron Supreme to take over the planet and was building a moon base capable of destroying distant worlds. When the surrogate Superman finished ladling out this heaping helping of exposition, the gang was like, Yummy, but we're still hungry. What's for exposition dessert? Fortunately, that's when a being of pure crackling energy who bore a striking resemblance to Kyle's psychic ex-girlfriend Mindy zapped themselves into the room with a big slab of partial explanation of why Kyle isn't dead cake. Hooray! Mindy explained that right before the big explosion at August Master's base, the psychics had merged all their psyches together on the astral plane and used their collective energy to fling Kyle to safety. Only they had goofed a little, and he had ended up in this dimension. Also, they had accidentally saved August Masters too, so he was probably hanging around this dimension as well. Good to know. Mindy and Steve teleported the gang up to the moon to confront Overmind and stop him and his cerebrally subjugated subordinates from blowing up the cosmos. Soon after they arrived, the Mindy-shaped amalgamation of psychics took off because maintaining a physical form was a pain in the butt and they needed to take a rest. I hear you, Mindy-shaped amalgamation of psychics. The Defenders and their pals beat the shit out of the Squadron Supreme. Hooray! Then Overmind beat the shit out of the Defenders. Oh no! During the course of the kerfuffle, August Masters, who had managed to sneak up to the moon base by impersonating a maintenance worker, stealthily made his way towards an ostensibly brainwashed President Kyle and shot him in the head. Dang! Regular Kyle, who had sensed that something was up with his doppelganger, witnessed the murder and was disturbed, not only to see the death of a fellow Kyle Richmond, but because after the demise, a thick black smoke started billowing out of President Kyle's body. Much to everyone's confusion, Overmind stopped fighting and collapsed to the ground. 
The smoke coalesced in the air above the battlefield into an amorphous writhing mass of eyeballs and tentacles, which darkly proclaimed to all in attendance that 1. No, the living darkness had returned, and B. The universe was fucked. Gadzooks! How many Kyles has August Masters now killed? Who exactly is this Null the Living Darkness guy again? And how will our heroes battle a being who contains millions of minds? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... at least one less than he thinks he has. He's the collective bad vibes of a race of nose-flute-playing speedo-clad lunar angels who all killed themselves by pancaking into the moon's surface when they couldn't figure out the meaning of life. And they think real hard at him until he realizes that deep down, he's not so bad. Which kills him. Everyone stares in horror and vague recognition at Null the Living Darkness as he blinks his eyeballs and waves his tentacles in the air like he just doesn't care. Which he doesn't, because he's a nihilist. Null is like, I don't care about anything. Fair enough. Null continues, Except exposition! So here's some more of that. You fiend. Null goes over a lot of what I talked about in the previously in the Defenders thingy. Then he brings up that since he last fought our titular non-team, he also fought Ghost Rider. Ghost Rider kind of kicked his ass, so then he started wandering around the multiverse and bumped into Overmind, who had been hanging out in the microverse ever since the Fantastic Four and a dapper mustachioed space gentleman named The Stranger had banished him there for trying to destroy the entire universe. Huh. Kinda seems like superheroes treat nigh-omnipotent megacidal maniacs the way I would treat a squirrel I caught in my garage. Trap it, then drive out into the woods and let it go, hoping it won't find its way back. Well, bad news, superheroes. The megacidal maniacs always come back. Eventually, you're gonna have to invest in some really big snap traps. Anyway, Null and Overmind bonded over the fact that they were both stuffed full of the vengeful psyches of their respective extinct species who had wanted to destroy all of creation. Overmind had been stuck in the microverse for a long time now, and loneliness had apparently turned his mind to tapioca. But Null was more than happy to take the wheel of the big murderous goof's fragile psyche and call the shots for him. They tried to head to Earth to kick off the apocalypse, but took a wrong turn at Cosmic Albuquerque and ended up on Earth-S instead. Figuring that that was as good a place to start destroying the universe as any, they got down to business. Null had been hiding inside the shell of President Kyle, growing more powerful and calling the shots for both Overmind and the Squadron Supreme when August Masters had released him. He had been hoping to hang out there a little longer and continue his gestation, but since he was pretty dang powerful already, it was fine that his coming out party was a little premature. Son of Satan turns to Doctor Strange and is like, He's got that right, Steve. I sense that this Null guy is the most powerful being I have ever encountered. This seems to hurt Steve's feelings a little, but the supercilious sorcerer is forced to agree. Kyle addresses Null and is like, 
You mean jerk. You don't even care that your bullshit just caused the death of a perfectly good Kyle Richmond, do you? Nullis like, what are you talking about? Of course I don't care about that. What part of Null the Living Darkness don't you understand? I've told you multiple times I don't care about anything. Except exposition. Speaking of which, why are you so upset about this? Surely you're aware that... Wait, you aren't? Oh goody, more to explain! See? Fortunately, just then, the Mindy-shaped conglomerate of psychics shows up, and Null is forced to pinch off his exposition dump. The Mindy-shaped entity, who for the sake of expediency I'm just going to call Mindy, is like, Hey, hey you, you dummies! The longer you spend gabbing with this jerkwad, the more powerful he gets, and the closer the universe is to being destroyed! Since Null's emergence from President Kyle, the Squadron Supreme has been released from their telepathic bondage. Halloween Store Firestorm is like, Hey Hyperion, who is this glowing lady? Hyperion starts to explain, but then is like, Nah, fuck it. I'm sick of exposition. Let's just punch the tentacle monster. So he punches the tentacle monster. Hooray! Only the punch doesn't go so great. Null backhands, or rather back tentacles, the C-Superman out of the sky, and then casually slaps the shit out of the other assorted heroes as well. Steve teams up with Mindy, the Scarlet Witch, and Halloween Store Zatanna to form a mystical shield around the heroes and buy them some time until they can figure out a plan of attack. After a few seconds, the Silver Surfer is like, I've got this. He hops on his board and zooms into the air, giving a little speech about how Null may have unimaginable destructive energy, but there is one force even more powerful than that. A can-do attitude. He zaps Null with a combination of self-actualization and the power cosmic. Null is like, cute. He slaps the surfer out of the air. Mindy is like, Okay, now that the Silver Surfer has gotten that out of his system, here's the plan. We all need to merge our minds together and form a single collective consciousness. Son of Satan is like, That's your go-to for everything, isn't it? Mindy is like, Hey, it worked last time, didn't it? Steve is like, I mean, not really. The last time you did it, you blew yourself and a bunch of other people up so that you could destroy August Masters once and for all and make sure that he never killed anyone again. And unless I'm very much mistaken, a few minutes ago, August Masters just shot a guy in the head. Namor is like, Fuck this. I was zoning out during some of the exposition, so I'm not sure why everyone is listening to the energy lady, but I do know this. I'm going to go punch the tentacle monster in the face. Well, maybe not the face, seeing as he doesn't really have one of those, but in one of the eyeballs anyway. Who's coming with me? Imperious Rex! Namor starts to leap off to do some eyeball punching, and the Hulk and a few of the more headstrong members of the Squadron Supreme are about to go with him. But Mindy is like, No! If you try to punch him, you will lose, and everyone in the cosmos is going to die! Here's what is going to happen. You are all going to stuff your minds inside my brain, and I am going to smush them together into a giant supermind that, that is, is going, going to mind fight, fight. Null. Steve? 
Steve shrugs and is like, You heard the lady. Hop in her brain, losers. We're going to go save the universe. Is that how you do the meme? Son of Satan is like, Kind of, but it's pronounced meme. Everyone hops inside of Mindy's mind and experiences ego loss, like it's their freshman year in college and they're at a fish concert. The experience is disorienting and unsettling at first. Again, like a fish concert. And it's hard to understand what anyone is thinking because all their words get jumbled together. Almost like a bunch of people all playing solos at the same time. But at least no one tries to explain Gamehenge to them. The merging of psyches is especially distressing to Kyle, who seems to briefly be exposed to some information that horrifies him. But then everyone's minds get fully smushed together, and Mindy powers up into some kind of a giant Super Mindy. Giant Super Mindy yells at Null and thinks at him as hard as she can, with a combined mental energy of the psychics who normally live in Mindy's mind, plus the nearly two dozen superheroes who just moved in. Null doesn't like that one bit. He thinks and yells right back at Giant Super Mindy. With all the bad vibes from the suicide angels he's made of, plus he starts siphoning off Overmind's considerable mental energy as well. The yelling-slash-thinking battle is tightly contested and goes on for a while. While Giant Super Mindy and Null are thus occupied, August Masters is hanging out with President Kyle's corpse, thinking about what a good Kyle murderer he is. Then, the corpse starts melting until it looks like an emaciated version of one of those aliens from They Live. This surprising development snaps whatever tenuous grasp August Masters had on the remains of his shit. Meanwhile, giant Super Mindy musters the remains of her thinkiness and launches one final all-out assault on Null. There is a huge astral explosion, and when the dust settles, the heroes' minds are all back in their old bodies, and Mindy and Null are nowhere to be seen. Steve is like, Well, bummer about Mindy and all, but I guess we won. Then Null oozes up out of a crack in the floor. Oh no! The unsymmetrical pile of eyeballs and tentacles shambles over to Overmind's prone form and starts hoovering up the final bits of his mind to perform a finishing blow on our heroes. The gang figures they are totally hosed, but then Null recoils in pain. After convulsing for a few seconds, he starts to shrink and eventually blinks away into nothingness. Hooray! Then Overmind sits up. Oh no! Overmind is like, Chill out, it's me, Mindy! Hooray! Overmind slash Mindy is like, It was too much strain to hold that energy body together, but fortunately, there was this perfectly good, muscly, bearded space guy lying around that had just been emptied out. Neat, huh? Anyway, you probably want to know how we beat Null the Living Darkness, right? Well, here's the deal. While we were fighting, I was trying to beat him by channeling all of our collected, concentrated goodness at him. But the problem with that is, deep down inside, we all have some parts of us that kind of suck, and Null was scarfing that stuff up and getting stronger from it. Heck, Steve's thing for flame ghosts gave him enough juice to roast Delaware all by itself. But then I realized that if we all had some evil in us, then Null probably had some goodness in him too, left over from the lunar angels who created him. So after he sucked up Overmind, I jumped inside his mind and released that goodness. 
His evil attacked his goodness, and eventually, he just sort of ate himself. Son of Satan is like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Does it, though? As Overmindy was delivering this last bit of exposition, Kyle headed over to August Masters to see why he was so upset, and maybe keep him from dressing President Kyle's corpse up as a Roman centurion or something. Overmindy sees that Kyle is about to examine the body of his deceased counterpart, and is like, Oh shit! Steve is like, Oh shit indeed. This is going to suck for Kyle, but I thought I saw this was what was going on when all of our minds were squished together. Kyle is like, Oh crap! Seeing President Kyle's corpse dissolve into an alien husk just jogged my memory! I'm not regular Kyle after all! I've been... President Kyle this whole time! He collapses in tears of horror and despair. Finally, someone reacts appropriately to the idea that Kyle Richmond is president. To be continued. And joining me once again via the magic of telephonic communication is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? Hey, it's going pretty good. How are you? I'm doing okay. I have a nice array of beverages in front of me, so that's a nice time. Oh, yeah? How are you fixed for beverages? I have two. I don't know how many you need to have an array. I have three, so you're not that far off. I think we can call two a mini array. What are the two involved? I've got a uh, Pacifico beer and a glass of water. Hmm. I have a cup of Silencio tea. Shh. Indeed. It is a black tea with notes of chocolate and pepper and jalapeno and pineapple. That's probably too many things for me to deal with. It seems like it should be, but it's pretty good. I also have a shot of Irish whiskey, which is, you know, in case of emergency, in case I become too coherent over the next hour or so. And perhaps most interestingly, I have a tiny can of Dr. Pepper. Oh, that's cute. Look at that. I look like a damn giant. It's a little guy. Pretty fun. It's like a old timey too, right? Like the soda servings used to be. Smaller? Probably. I mean, I think people used to be smaller in general. <laughs> Just everything that went with that. Yeah. It's amazing that old houses have so much headroom. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I do know what you mean. Because if people were tiny, and the ceilings in those things are sometimes like 8 feet, 9 feet, 10 feet. Sure, but I mean, I think they also used to have more kids, so like, maybe they just would have to like, stack them up. Oh, like... Bunk beds, triple-decker. Yeah, plus hats used to be bigger. So that's probably why. Okay. Mystery solved. That makes sense. Now that we've finished discussing <laughs> soda servings and historical architecture, I guess we have to talk about Dance of Darkness, Dance of Light. I guess we probably ought to. Corey, what did you think of this comic book? I enjoyed the depictions of Null. Mm -hmm. I thought that Null was drawn quite well. I liked the art on the cover. I did too. The art inside 
apart from Null, I found kind of inconsistent, or rather consistent, but in general not my favorite. I'm glad that we have a little bit more stability on the art team. This is, I think, the first time we've had the same inker on Don Perlin's pencils for three issues in a row in a very long time. But I got to say, overall, I'm not crazy about Mike Gustavich's inks. Yeah, especially the panels where there's a lot going on, of which there are a lot. And the tiny details start to look pretty cartoonish. Yeah. The fine detail work in this in general isn't the best, with the exception of many of the close-ups of Null the Living Darkness, who is both really creepy and really goofy looking. Mm -hmm. That being said, there were things about the art that I really loved in this issue. For one thing, I think it's incredibly impressive to be able to do a layout and illustrate a seven-page fight scene, which is essentially two combatants thinking at each other really hard. Mm -hmm. And not fighting, but just like taunting each other back and forth real hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're just yelling at each other and thinking at each other as hard as they can. I'm going to beat you so bad. Oh, no, I'm going to beat you so bad. It goes on like that for a minute. Yeah, but it's seven pages of that, and it was visually interesting the whole time and kept you engaged as a reader, which is tough to pull off, I think. Totally. It had the feel almost of like a, a modern Marvel movie that has these huge climactic fight scenes at the end. Yeah. Like a like this high stakes, lots of explosions kind of stuff going on. Yeah, the kind of CGI ex machina that, that mm -hmm. they tend to conclude with, where it's like, okay, we're all building to this, and then there will be 10 minutes of special effects. But I think it pulled it off pretty well, and part of why I think it worked was really interesting writing tactics that DeMatteis was using on the dialogue and the captions. The way that he was describing the ego loss of the characters as they are merging into the single entity inside of, I don't know, multiple Mindy or whatever we're calling her, I thought was really interesting and also spoke to the fact that perhaps Mr. DeMatteis has more than a passing familiarity with uh, psychedelia, I would say. <laughs> one, one could gather. I mean, he really captures, I think, the feeling of both, like, wonder and horror that can be part of a drug trip that Macho Man is not guiding you through, uh, especially right. surrounding the idea of losing your ego to a larger collective, which I think is a common theme for a lot of, like, psychedelic experiences that people have with hallucinogens. And I think that's what he's getting at, and it certainly evoked that, I think, pretty neatly. It did. It did. So I, I enjoyed that, like the kind of narrative structure of it. One thing that I can't quite get my head around is the Kyle situation. Yeah, I'm assuming we'll get more clarification on that as it goes. But the way that I interpreted it was it turned out that what we thought was President Kyle was a robot creature or something that Null and Overmind pasted together and used as a stand-in for Kyle. And that was what Null the Living Darkness had been growing inside of like a shell. And the Kyle that we thought was regular Kyle was in fact President Kyle the whole time. 
and like maybe he had Kyle's thoughts shoved inside his brain. So the Kyle we know, I think, is actually dead. Okay, okay. So that was we we came you and I to the same conclusion, which is comforting in some way. <laughs> Even though we didn't have a ton of help with that, I think. <laughs> yeah, that was confusing. And then I don't know. It kind of got me going on this idea of like, is the reader are we supposed to now be disappointed or like I I feel like we are supposed to feel like because you know let's call him original Kyle mm-hmm. was the one that we've known longer that President Kyle is like a knockoff Kyle so he's less good or less valuable. But by every description that we've had of him this kyle seems to be an upgrade you know earth s and frankly i'm so glad we finally get a name for this other dimensions planet i don't think we've had it for the past two issues so knowing that we can call it earth s is a gonna make the synopsis a lot easier to write and uh two is just gonna help clarify things in my own mind but um Everything that we've learned about the Squadron Supreme version of Nighthawk, he seems like a better Nighthawk. Like, he seems like a better Kyle. Well, yes, but (laughs) we don't know anything about his financial doings. We don't know what he did as president when, if he was actually ever really president and it wasn't the automaton. Mm. Like, he could be just as shitty as regular Earth Kyle, and we just don't know because we've only seen him for a couple issues. I mean, it's possible, but every other character that's on the Squadron Supreme, the Squadron Sinister version of them, which is, I think, what Arkyle comes from, was a worse version. Like, Mm -hmm. Squadron Sinister Hyperion, real piece of shit. Squadron Supreme Hyperion, fucking rad. And, like, the same with Dr. Spectrum and the Wizard. (laughs) So, I mean, I don't know. Seems like this Kyle's probably better. All right, all right. I'll, I'll jump on the optimism train with you. Let's <laughs> see where this thing goes. Well, I mean, you know, the previous version of Kyle didn't leave us a lot of directions to go other than up. Yeah, that's true, I guess. It's a pretty low bar. I mean, ostensibly, Earth-S Kyle does have some actual leadership skills rather than just kind of assuming that he should be in charge. One would think, and well, I would certainly question the merit of hiring somebody or electing somebody to be president based on their business acumen. We were informed that why he was elected president was because he was known as such an upstanding and moral businessman, which is certainly not how Arkyle would generally be viewed. Yeah, good point. All right. So, maybe he is an upgrade. Man, August Masters sure seemed pretty shaken by learning that he had killed a robot. Or whatever. What a weird... (laughs) Weird reaction. Was he just so disappointed that he hadn't killed a human being? That's why he was muttering, not real, not real, not real. I think so. And boy, was he disturbed. (laughs) You see, he, he was so disturbed that he turned into an instant portland hipster barista (laughs) like he went from looking like august masters at the beginning of the comic to growing a five o'clock shadow almost instantaneously once he realized that the guy was not a human being Mm -hmm. 
And also, his glasses suddenly became white plastic frames for his uh, prescription glasses, which, uh, just like, whoa, you should be making me a macchiato right now and giving me guff about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got a poorly cropped, on-purpose hairdo. Mm-hmm. It's really quite stunning. I mean, we had talked before about the fact that in comic books, Five O'Clock Shadow is a much more consistent sign of mental unrest. But I had thought that it was, I don't know, like, like I think I maybe got the causality wrong. <laughs> like, it looks like being traumatized caused him to grow the five o'clock shadow instantly rather than it being a sign like, oh, he's been forgetting to shave lately. Yeah, I guess it could it could work both ways, yeah. right? So it's, you know, um, interesting bit of world building there. Mm-hmm. I think my first initial reaction to the comic book was, holy shit, that's a lot of exposition. Because the first couple of pages are just so densely packed with exposition. Some of it a description of things that have happened in the last couple of issues. And some of it, here's what Null the Living Darkness has been up to in other comic books. And here's what Overmind was up to in other comic books before he was in this comic book. And it was just so much that it was pretty overwhelming. But I like that the comic book acknowledged that and had kind of almost a playful response to how much and how convoluted the exposition was. Because as soon as it's delivered, you get a Halloween store firestorm being like, wait, who are these people? And Hyperion starts to explain. And then it's like, uh, you know what? Never mind. I'm just going to punch something. Ah, forget it. (laughs) And I thought that was honestly kind of refreshing. I think it's nice that the comic book has a little bit of a sense of humor about itself in that regard, and I appreciated it. Yeah, me too. That got a good chuckle out of me. I also noticed just kind of a weird trend in this particular story arc that I don't think had been completely clear to me before. There are so many characters in this book that have a bunch of different minds inside of their minds. Like, the whole premise of the bad guy side of the team, when it was Overmind and Nova Living Darkness teaming up together, was, hey, I'm the last survivor of a species who has had my head filled with billions of ghosts of vengeful angels. Hey, me too. You want to be pals? Okay. Yeah, what are the chances of that? Yeah. Kind of gives you hope, doesn't it? Uh, Two wayward souls like that, or I guess two sets of several billion wayward souls like that can connect. Over a mutual love of destroying everything else in the multiverse. Yeah, so that that was kind of weird. But you also have Mindy, or I mean, multiple Mindy, or whatever we are calling her now that she has the combined psyches of, was it 40 or 50 different psychics that August Masters kidnapped? I don't know if we ever actually got a head count on the number of psychics, but it seemed like there was a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And then briefly, you had all of the Squadron Supreme and all of the Defenders piled into her brain as well before she ended up like a hermit crab sneaking into the abandoned body of Overmind. That was a good sneak. Mm-hmm. But she was a pretty severe underdog there when you've got like seven billion 
probably mixing it up against like, I don't know, best case scenario, 75 brains. So good for her that she ended up winning. Yeah. Again, what are the odds? Well, I believe they're uh, about seven or eight billion to uh, 75. Man, wish I had put money on that fight. Yeah, I'm not great at statistics. I've been uh, buying lottery tickets lately, and the ones that I got are broken, which is bullshit. Broken? Yeah. By my calculations, I had roughly a 200% chance of winning the lottery, and all of them came up as losers. About four lottery tickets. Mm-hmm. And I figure with a lottery ticket, you have a 50% chance of winning because there's two possible outcomes. Either you win or you don't. That's a 50-50 chance, right? And I bought four of them. So I should have had a 200% chance of winning. Corey, I wasn't going to take both prize amounts. I only bought the extra two tickets because, uh, you know, I want to give back a little something. And it goes to good causes. But uh I don't know. I I pay my taxes and none of those lottery tickets won. It's fucking bullshit. Yeah, it's almost like not everyone does have the potential to win. Yeah, I got some calls into some people. We'll see if we can get this straightened out. That's that's good. Let's let's make the lottery more fair. That's my plan. Let's see. Other highlights are learning that giving an impassioned speech doesn't always yield the results that you hope for oh silver surfer <laughs> what a goofus i was like oh my gosh is he actually gonna pull this off with the power of his words and his spirit <laughs> you may be more powerful than me but there's something more powerful than power and that's chutzpah and then he blasts him with all his cosmic powers and then Noah's like or not oh man that was pretty goofy, but I did appreciate both the quality of his speech and the fact that he basically just got instantly backhanded down to earth. I think maybe my favorite moment in the issue, though, is a very early on one where Noah's talking about how powerful he is. And Son of Satan is like, Dr. Strange, the psychic aura emanating from Null is more malevolent, more powerful than any I've ever encountered. And Steve looks so pissed as he says, I am. And then there's ellipses and he says, well aware of that, Damon. His face is so scrunched up. It's like he's trying to really hold it together. I feel like he was like, no, I'm the most powerful being you've ever encountered. And then he's like, oh, shit. I can actually sense that I'm not. Damn it. Redirect. I am aware that that is true. Damn it. (laughs) Yeah, I, I noted that um, exchange also. It was really hard for Steve to admit that he's not the uh, supreme of everything. There was also another piece of dialogue that struck me as unintentionally very interesting, where Mindy, as she is fighting Null the Living Darkness with everybody inside of her head and doing that cut-up dialogue thing that was mm-hmm. difficult to read, but I think worth reading through, She told Null that she was the antithesis of everything that he was. And I was like, oh, but also Null is essentially the same person as the antithesis, the character that we just read about in the New Teen Titans, like big, massive eyeballs and tentacles, who is a collective of bad vibes who feeds off of dark energy. 
Well, you know, it's like you get a thousand chimpanzees in a room with a typewriter. And you take all of their eyeballs and shove them into a shadow being made of tentacles. There you go. Man, characters with multiple eyeballs get a bad rep in these comics. Is there places where they get a good rep? Uh, well, okay, I guess also in these comics, it would be like, uh, Shusha, he seemed pretty chill. Little magical heffalump guy filled with eyeballs and extra feet. So maybe the thing is, if you got extra feet and extra eyeballs, then you're a good dude. Tentacles. If you got tentacles, no way. I guess the uh, wild card would be like Argus from Greek mythology. I feel like he was often portrayed as a bad guy, but he seemed pretty chill to me. Was he an eyeball tentacle guy? He didn't have tentacles. Oh. But he he had 100 eyeballs. That's a lot. I had to look him up recently because I read a bunch of Greek mythology when I was a kid, and every time I remember it, I end up thinking, well, that can't be right. And then I look into it and I'm like, no, that is right. Man, Greek mythology was fucked up, and it's fucked up that I read so much of it as a kid. Because mm-hmm. Argus's main deal, as near as I can figure, is he was Hera's security guard who she hired to keep Zeus from fucking a white cow. <laughs> wow. Because Zeus really wanted to fuck that cow. Who is successful, Argus or Zeus? Well... The, the thing is, Zeus had uh, one of his kids kill Argus, who may have also been one of his kids, I can't quite remember, so that he could get at that sweet, sweet cow. Uh, Hermes, I believe. Dang it, Argus, you had one job. <laughs> yeah. The nice thing is, though, now he gets to live on in peacock feathers. That's why they got eyeballs on him now. Because of Argus? Yeah. The gods took mercy on him and uh, decided to commemorate him by making peacock feathers look like they had eyeballs on them. Because when you're a god, you can just do weird, dumb shit like that. Dang. So, yeah, I'm not sure where he falls in the eyeball equation. Ah, shit, and I guess the foot thing doesn't totally work either, because you got a trigon. Four eyes, two feet. Yep. Total evil. But he's got antlers, which are kind of like tentacles. They're, they're just like uh, hardened tentacles coming out of your head. Uh, that's a bit of a stretch, my friend. Yeah, but it's one that I'm sticking with. Okay. I also thought it was kind of weird, like, the Defenders couldn't quite beat Null the Living Darkness because they were just shooting good vibes at him. But deep down, there were parts of them that were still kind of shitty. But then Null ended up losing because deep down, there were parts of him that were still kind of chill. Yeah, he needed to be totally bad. Well, here's the thing, though. I think he was, wasn't he? Like, he was just the snouts and assholes, right? He had the Trigon equation going where he was made of just the bad vibes. Of all those dudes. But then even their bad vibes had good vibes? Like a little bit, yeah, residual. Okay. I mean, yeah, it's it's a little bit loose, right? Because they say, after all, they were angels. (laughs) They just had wings! Come on! Even though they all decided to commit mass suicide by jumping into a lake of fire because the world had no meaning, they were still basically good. (laughs) 
I do think it's funny that it's like, well, I mean, they were still angels. They were a bunch of people who lived on the moon and had wings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, moon angels. Fair enough. You're right. I'm sorry. I am not trying to say one thing is right and one thing's wrong here. It's no, no, no. Like... You got me. I understand. It makes perfect sense. Uh, if you got wings, you're one of the good guys. Fair enough. Yeah. Tentacle bad, wing good. Yep. Yellow jackets, peacocks, geese, they're all angels. And squids and octopuses will burn in a lake of fire for all eternity. Got it. Yeah. Speaking of things that have angelic names, the lunar angels, who all suicided out of a sense of mass nihilism, were named the seraph, like, you know, seraphim, but with some extra apostrophes because the moon is in space. But you also have the Seraphic Shield is a spell that Doctor Strange and the other magic users cast. And golly, on page six, sure looks like a butt. Let's go have a look. Lower left hand corner. (laughs) Oh, man. Doesn't it? Yeah, I can see why you'd say that. I when I first looked at it, I thought it was like one of those jello molds from the 1950s that you would like make a jello salad out of and it was just getting wiggled to one direction. Oh. But it in the way that it is wiggling it <laughs> looks but like. I mean, it's also possible that you just ate from a lot of butt-shaped jello molds. Oh, I don't know that I ate a lot of molded jello. <laughs> As a kid, I just... You just looked at it because it was butt-shaped. Well, I'm not blaming you. There is a brief reference made as an editorial note after the Hulk says something. Then in he, he says it in his normal Hulk-like manner. But then there is an editor note that says, This is before the Hulk got Bruce Banner's intelligence in this issue. So I guess we are in the era of comics where there was the smart Hulk. And uh, I got to say, I don't have anything against him in that way, but uh, he's a less interesting character to me when the Hulk has Bruce Banner's intelligence. It was something that happened for a little while in the early 80s. I know that was the case during the first Secret Wars, at least at first in him. I don't remember the whole series very well, but I know there was a smart hulk in them and i'm never that crazy about it you got any thoughts on the smart hulk is that the gray hulk or is that a different different hulk gray hulk is smart but a jerk and has a different personality than bruce banner smart hulk is just hulk with bruce banner's brain regular style then later on in the 90s they did a synthesis of all of the characters where it was Bruce Banner's intelligence, Gray Hulk, who went by the name Joe Fixit, his attitude, and then Green Hulk's body. And that was fine, I guess. Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't really have a, a horse in that race. Is that an expression? Yeah. Is that okay to say? <laughs> I think so. I understand uh, your wariness because once again, the phrase mumbo jumbo came up in this comic book. And my initial thought was, oh, that's that's a fun word. And then I was like, wait, no, I think we looked that up before. And I I checked it out. It's like, yep, nope, that one's racist. Yep, that one's bad. So I guess I don't have strong feelings about smart Hulk versus not smart Hulk. But I love the idea of him getting into like a 
a sedan <laughs> and driving it and, and like taking up all the space in the car. Like, that's just a very funny picture in my head. OK, that's a good call. So that would be definitely a point in favor of Smart Hulk. I am no longer upset at the idea of Smart Hulk being in this comic book. Oh, good. Provided that at some point he purchase or lease a midsize sedan. There is just one other minor thing that I want to bring up before we get into the minutiae, and that is from the letters page. You're reading the digital version. I don't think you had access to the letters page, did you? I did not. There is a letter that I found interesting, mostly because of the last sentence in it. It is about the issue that focused on Devil Slayer. Mm. It was a very positive letter about the issue. The letter writer, a Peter Dupree, said that he had a great deal that he was able to take away from it and apply to his own life, and it was very meaningful for him. And I'm very glad for him for that. It was an issue that I wasn't frankly that crazy about. But he ended it with this sentence, which I really like, which is, and I would like to thank all of you for showing me that there's a bit of Eric in all of us, Eric being Devil Slayer, but there is a bit of Corey also. So I like that it sets you up as the uh, antithesis, if you will, of Devil Slayer. Nice hustle, Corey. Thanks. Gosh, speaking of parallels between the, the two series that we're covering, both of them, strong female characters who have a nickname that is the same as my name. That is true. Good point. Hmm. Well, Corey, was there anything else you wanted to bring up before we get into the minutia? I think whatever thoughts I have will probably be aired in the minutia. I agree with you, Corey, and it makes sense that I would, because after all, we all have a little Corey inside of us. Rick, would you mind singing us in? This doesn't sound good when you say it like that. <laughs> we got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Oh, uh, do you have a Beholder Be Gone? Oh. No. Okay, we can just skip it. If you think of one, let me know. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm thinking real hard. Okay. Anything? <laughs> Not yet. Okay. How about now? No, I just, it's going to marinate for a minute. Okay, you ready? Mm-hmm. Thanks, Rick. So, Corey, uh, what do you feel like starting off with first? Let's start off with, uh, sartorially speaking, I could only find one. Okay. Sartorially speaking, what is that one incident of fashion that you would like to focus on, Corey? It's on page two. I feel like we were introduced to this character in the past, but I can't remember his name. And he's the, the wizard with like a red muscle shirt and gauntlets and a lime green crotch curtain. That is a character named The Stranger. That's right. He's a character who's known for uh, sitting on his own hand until it falls asleep. And then... <laughs> Smoking some cigarettes. Um, Feeling sad. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, based on a Camus book. No, he's a character that I'm not particularly familiar with, but I guess he teamed up with a Fantastic Four and helped shut down Overmind last time that guy showed up. It's a weird look. I don't think it's a totally bad one. He has what I think is the peekaboo crotch curtain thing going on, but it's more like peekaboo 
crotch Venetian blinds. Yeah, I don't know if those little horizontal lines um, pivot <laughs> for ventilation or, or what. But... They, they could almost be a washboard, maybe. Oh, maybe he's like in a jug, jug band of some kind. <laughs> Play the old uh, crotch board. Yep. You know, if the washboard was called the crotch board, it still wouldn't be the weirdest named instrument in a jug band. I think that'd still be the gut bucket. Yeah, I like his dapper little mustache and his pointy shoulder pads, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great mustache. Yeah. A lot of work. Mm. A lot of work into it. Well, speaking of things that are a lot of work, the thing that I wanted to focus on for sartorially speaking, it's not necessarily a new fashion thing, but we see how it works a little bit more. And that is new Kyle, who I guess is not old Kyle, his costumes mask. Because we see that it is two pieces. It is the filigreed, I don't know, wingy bits that go over his eyeballs and nose. And then that is over a full body sock mask for his head. I still think it looks cool. I know that you don't. But it looks like it would be such a pain in the ass to clean. It's got to be like cleaning a goddamn French press. You got to take off this bit and run it through separately. I, I just, uh, I don't got time for that outfit. Yeah, it makes two of us. I think he looks way, way cooler without it. So you think the old Kyle costume is a lot cooler or just having not the bird mask, but just the body sock over his face? Yeah, that, not the bird mask, just the body sock with the red eyeballs. That's kind of a creepy look, but could strike fear into the hearts of his enemies. Hmm. And since this version of Kyle is the Halloween store version of Batman, it would make sense that he would want to do that. There was a period where Doctor Strange used to wear that kind of a body sock mask over his head, too. And I always thought that looked cool. I wish that had been a look he had gone back to. Hmm. But yeah, other than that, it's mostly characters that we've seen before. So uh, not a ton to talk about in the way of fashion, except for, as you mentioned, the flashback where we get to see the stranger. And the elaboration on the elaborateness of Nighthawk's mask. Fair enough. Well, I think there's a little more to discuss in this category, Corey. Every Defender's comic book has a best defender and a worst offender. In this comic book, who did you have as your best and who did you have as your worst? So for ultimately saving the day, and I don't know, maybe this isn't fair because she's a lot of people. I went with the Space Mindy. Yeah, I also had multiple Mindy as my choice. She did a great job. Hermit crabbed into Overmind's body. Now she's all buff as shit. Good for her. Saved the day. Turned her head into a big ball of lightning. Yeah, just a nice hustle all around. Seems like she maybe goofed a bit in terms of the attempted Kyle rescue that she had said she did earlier, where she was able to push him out of the way and into this universe. So maybe a slight goof there. Odd that August Masters, I believe, is the August Masters of our Earth, so I'm not sure how he ended up there instead of Kyle. But overall, I think she did a great job. There was a lot more debate for me in who did the worst job, though. Yeah. I did have Kyle as a potential nominee, 
seeing as even when he was merged with everybody's mind and had full access to what Mindy was thinking, he still didn't fully pick up on the fact that he was dead or whatever it is that happened. Can't fully blame him for that, though, because I still don't pick up on it, and I had it at least partly explained to me in this issue. I had the Silver Surfer as a possible nominee for his uh, slight overconfidence. (laughs) (laughs) Teamwork! I think ultimately, though, I'm going with Namor. Namor has this little speech that he gives after Mindy has just explained to everybody how they all need to team up together and pile into the cavernous van that is her mind, all psyches aboard, and then attack Null the Living Darkness that way. And Namor is like, why should we listen to this lady? Shut up, you. I'm just going to go punch it. And he apparently makes this persuasive enough argument that Power Princess, the Hulk, Halloween Store, Firestorm, Tom Thumb, and Halloween Store Green Arrow decide to go with him. Some of those characters it makes sense for. I don't know what the fuck Halloween Store Green Arrow is going to do unless he has some kind of a nuclear assault weapon arrow in his quiver there. But who knows? Maybe he does. That's not the entire reason why I decided to give it to Namor, though. The other reason is a bit of phrasing that he uses, where what he calls Mindy when he's like, why should we listen to this lady, is, who is this she-witch that she can command us so? She-witch is a weird phrase to use, a pretty specific one. It's like he's saying, she's like a witch, but a lady. I mean, that's not generally a situation in which you need to disambiguate the gender. That, that's like saying uh, she's some kind of like a, a, a she mother. <laughs> so there, there's no reason to bring that up except for to, I guess, just underline the gender, which seems like a fucked up thing to do. Bad job, Namor. I'm, I'm used to expecting better from him, frankly. Yeah. I had him basically for the same set of reasons. Like, we already learned from Silver Surfer's failing that you can't just fly up and punch the tentacle monster. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, you're a girl, don't tell me what to do, I'm gonna go punch the tentacle (laughs) monster. Yeah, be quiet, she-girl. Well, we have a double agreement. Indeed. Same best, same worst. What was your favorite sound effect in this issue? In keeping with the, the Noran Rand theme, I, I like after he's defeated, they make a sound effect out of his yelp of pain and defeat, which is yarg. I had another yelp of pain and defeat, but I had Null the Living Darkness's yell of pain and defeat, which was yee. <laughs> <laughs> Just a Y and seven E's. But uh, yeah, both uh, pretty silly noises for uh, cosmic beings to make. Indeed, indeed. I did have a, a backup on page five, which is the noise of a, a tentacle whacking Hyperion, and it makes appropriately the sound whack. But I don't know, the, kind of, the way it's drawn and the way I read it, I imagined it being kind of a, a wet whack. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's like a slimy tentacle. It's a slimy tentacle. I think it would make like the Foley noise of somebody getting like one of those big wet punches from like a a modern kung fu movie where it's just like, oh, you got some brain on your fist with that one. Yeah, that was that was a good whack. Agreed. Other than that, just not a ton to choose from in terms of sound effects. So, yeah, I went with the but uh, Yarg also pretty good. And uh, yeah, I noted the whack as well. All right. What was your pie not made out of steel? What words did you like best, much like you would like a pie if it were not made out of steel? Well, this may take a minute because I couldn't choose which part of Norin's speech <laughs> I like the best. So if you'll give me the uh, latitude of long-windedness, I'm just going to read the, the whole thing. You have the floor, Mr. Whitney. Okay. So, as, yeah, Silver Surfer is flying towards Null, and he's saying, But there have always arisen brave men who have faced Galactus and emerged triumphant. For it takes more than raw power to win a victory. It takes will, determination, and a nebulous, sacrosanct thing called spirit. That spirit is alive within me, Null, and it guides my hand as I unleash this cosmic power and enwrap you in a cocoon of unimaginable energies which will hold you helpless until... Yeah! <laughs> yeah, and at that point, Null the Living Darkness interrupts him and says, Until the Silver Surfer falls! Ugh, dang. Yeah, that is pretty good. I really did enjoy that. I also think it's funny that he's just like, there's something more important than power, Null. There's a little thing called spirit. So I'm going to use my spirit to summon this unimaginable power that I wield. Kind of contradicted yourself, buddy. I very much enjoyed that, and I enjoyed the aftermath of it. I liked seeing, uh, the surfer get caught in Spectrum's giant light hand. I thought that was pretty cool. I had a couple of choices for favorites. A couple of them are on page nine. One of them I had referenced briefly before, and yeah, a problematic origin of one of the phrases used in it, but it is something said by the wizard, and it is as Steve and all of the magic people are erecting their butt-shaped jello shield. He says, not to denigrate the fine art of mumbo-jumbo, folks, but will you're all John, Null's doing a dandy job of breaking through the shield. It's a fucking bummer that, uh, racist origin of mumbo-jumbo as, as a word. But I like the use of informal slang with formal language like that. And I liked the structure of the sentence, even if some of the specific words in it pretty darn problematic. Later on in the page, we also have the Hulk saying, when he agrees with Namor, which was not the right thing to do, but also understandable from the Hulk's perspective, he just says, Hulk 2, let's smash big thing. Mm. That's just some fun Hulk. That's very Hulky. And I think my favorite I have already mentioned is uh, Steve being, I am well aware that there is a more powerful person than me. Damn it. Yep, classic Steve. Uh-huh. It really is driven home by the scowl on his face, but uh, I enjoyed that a lot. 
anything come up in your marination? Or, nah. Um, how about the, the power to give motivational speeches? Is there any downside to that? Um, but... <laughs> I said, Bart, I'm stuck on Okay. But you gotta get slapped out of the sky by an angry tentacle. Yeah, I'm gonna give that a become. <laughs> <laughs> All right, done. <laughs> ah, that was pretty good. Nice. Yep. How do you land on that? Oh, no, I'm gonna be gone, too. Okay, then it's agreed. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime angry sky tentacles are involved, no thanks. It's a valuable lesson. For us all. Corey, what was your favorite panel in this comic? Oh boy, there's some good ones. My ultimate favorite is on page 10, and I called it Mad Mindy. Mm. And it's it's just so cool the way it's drawn. She looks very godlike and, and powerful. And she's getting ready to zap Namor and his cronies back down into the butt jello shield. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It is a beautifully drawn panel. There is a lot more detail in it than there is in a lot of the other depictions of Mindy in this. About half the time in this comic book, especially once everyone else has piled into her head, she just looks like an explosion shape with breasts and eyeballs. But in this, she is just a pretty lady that is made of Kirby crackle and has fire hair, and it's really cool looking. Mm-hmm. Not bad i had a number of them to choose from there was a lot of artwork in this that i thought was very very good during the giant psychic battle especially towards the end of it there were some really cool almost op art images that were done with silhouette and changing light patterns on page 20 i really liked there is the silhouette of null as he is shrinking and it's almost like a backgammon board it's done in pink and black like triangular sections and it becomes instead his final defeat. And it's just a really cool layout that is all done in silhouettes. And it's got just a really nice op art look to it. And I thought it was really cool and really clean design on that. Yeah, that's a good one. And the page preceding that, or a couple pages on page 18, there's another one that just the kind of graphic design elements of it. It's the one called that says Impact mm-hmm. at the top. That one is so cool, like a bunch of star shapes and Kirby crackle and all kinds of energy circulating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a bunch of random geometric shapes, it seems like, flying out of a maelstrom of explosion. Pretty darn good. I wanted to also call out another like interesting graphic design one on page 11, and that is when all of the defenders are experiencing their ego loss and piling into Mindy's brain. There's just so many different floating heads with their faces slightly distorted or stylized that are yeah flying through this weird maelstrom and then you see kyle's head is superimposed and it is going through this weird planal vortex type thing and the mask is eating part of his head and he looks terrified and especially when you find out later that he is unable to process that he is not who he thought he was It's really clever and it's really interesting the way that that's drawn. Also, it is weird that apparently Mindy at this point, what, what we see of her face is that she has stars for eyeballs. 
She is screaming, as is everyone else. But she's wearing bright red lipstick in that. And that just seemed like an odd choice for a psychic being made of pure energy. Yeah, good point. That's the only time she's depicted that way, too. Yeah, but I did think that was just a really cool looking picture. The other one that I really like a lot is what I call Null the Living Darkness Trying to Read a Blank Page. And that's when he is confused as he is attempting to read Kyle's mind. It is a close-up of one of Null's many bloodshot eyeballs, and in the center of it, you see Kyle's new Nighthawk mask, and it's just really nicely drawn. That's one of the ones where the most detail is put into Null the Living Darkness. Yeah, yeah, I, I know the one you're talking about. It is real good. Any others you wanted to call out? Just one last one, and it's I called it Not Even Human, and it's a master's losing it over the uh whatever it is robot yeah zombie melting thing it's also kind of a cocoon because nova living darkness was living inside of it and gestating yeah but in that panel masters is in his full portland barista look (laughs) his hands are outstretched around the head of this cocoon thing yeah shouting he's not even human not real 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 yep Oh, August Masters. Well, Corey, what do you say we have ourselves a Battle of the Band names? Sure. Okay. What band names were you able to find in the text of this comic book? I got two contenders. Now that I'm looking at them, I feel like one of them might be one that you suggested before, Hmm. but I I can't quite remember. So we'll start with that one. Did you, in the past, um, put forth Power Prism? I did. Oh, dang it. But we didn't choose it, so it might still be up for grabs. Okay. Well, there was another Power Prism in this issue. Mm -hmm. I thought that sounded pretty cool. So uh, that's, that's one of the two. I do like Power Prism. I think we had had them be like a glam rock band with strong gay rights messaging. Mm-hmm. That sounds good. Uh, I had energy snakes. <laughs> I think that just sounds fun. Uh-huh. And, you know, there's also been some precedent set for band names that might be about sperm. <laughs> Pearl Jam, I'm looking your way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, d- I do not like that name. No, it's a bad, it, it, it's, it's unsettling. The other one that I had was Sparkle Girl, mm. which is something that Hulk calls Multiple Mindy. And I think Sparkle Girl is a good name for a band. It's not a solo performer. And that's kind of how you like weed out like people that, uh, whether they're real fans of the band, like, cause you know, it's uh. important to have gatekeeping. <laughs> um, so, you know, then it'd be like, oh, you like Sparkle Girl? And they're like, oh, yeah, she's great. And it's like, it's not a she, it's a band. Okay. Poser. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Sparkle Girl, not bad. My other one is one of those guitar-focused bands that just are, like, really into trading high-intensity solos with each other. Like a G3-type situation? Yeah, yeah. And these guys are the uh, the flaming fingers of white light. Okay, that's really good. 
even Joe Satriani and Steve Vai are nervous when those guys come around. <laughs> even Doug Flutie couldn't believe what they had done. <laughs> That's what people should leave as a review for this podcast. Oh, Tighten man. up the defense. Even Doug Flutie couldn't believe what they had done. Five stars. Uh, so, okay, I, I think that it's a limited crop of names in this one. I poured over it several times and just not a ton were jumping out at me. Do you want to go with the Flaming Fingers of White Light? I think that might be our strongest contender. I like Energy Snakes, but once I made the connection to Pearl Jam, I don't like it anymore. <laughs> you have an interesting mind. I wouldn't have gone there, but I'm glad somebody did. Here to help. I mean, I think partly I was thinking of the Frank Zappa album Baby Snakes, too. So, mm-hmm. yeah, let's go with a uh... Flaming Fingers of White Light. Yeah, why not? If the Defenders were G3, who do you think would be the Joe Satriani? Hmm. And who's the Steve Vai and who's the Eric Johnson? Those are the three, right? I think so. I think Silver Surfer is got to be Joe Satriani. Okay, it's a little on the nose, but yeah, I get it. Okay. Gosh, I think I think Doctor Strange might be Steve Vai. Just because he's got like kind of the most swagger, you know, mm-hmm. and Eric Johnson is. That's probably a uh, Damon. Damon Hellstrom. I don't know. I do. Who else would wear like a, a really fancy jacket? <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't didn't Eric Johnson have like a fancy jacket that he. He probably had a fancy jacket. Okay, that makes him a real son of Satan. (laughs) I mean, when he's not shirtless, gotta put on that fancy jacket with the, what are those shoulder things called? Epaulets? Epaulets? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Sure. (laughs) I don't know who else in the Defenders would wear a jacket with multiple epaulets. (sighs) Who in the Defenders indeed? I don't see Gargoyle doing that. Beast no, never too- wears any clothes except for that little pair of briefs. Mm-hmm. Maybe Val? Maybe. I think maybe it is Val. She, she had like a number of fairly elaborate costume changes over the years. Is she back just in her kind of what seems to be her default even when there's no explanation for it? Like new artists just seem to keep drawing her again wearing her boob cones? She is, mm-hmm. isn't she? I think so. I huh. think this- Maybe they both have blonde hair, too. So she's probably the Eric Johnson. Yeah, she's probably the Eric Johnson. Look up whether Eric Johnson wore boob cones. I don't think he did. Johnson boob cones. All right, Internet. (laughs) That is not Eric Johnson. That's not Eric Johnson at all. Stupid fucking Internet. All right. Well, regardless, flaming fingers of white light it is. Corey, we both know that the Hulk rules. But in this issue, what were the Hulk's rules? Yeah, so in in this issue, I think Hulk took a page out of uh, Hyperion's book, uh, highlighting that, you know, sometimes it doesn't make sense to just get stuck in the details and go too deep into the weeds, and uh, there's just not time to explain a complicated backstory. Mm. So just gotta say, ah, forget it. So the hoax rules is, you know, just let it wash over you. 
It's weird how that keeps coming up, but yeah. Forget about it. Nice. I think that's an excellent rule for the Hulk to learn. Uh, I had the Hulk learning a rule that uh, maybe needs a little bit of massaging in light of our earlier conversation. But if we can consider antlers to be hardened tentacles, then I think it still applies. And it's a little mnemonic device that the Hulk learned about whether you should trust people who have an extraordinary amount of eyeballs. And that mnemonic device is eyeballs and feet? Pretty neat. Eyeballs and tentacles? Guard your ventricles. Because, uh, generally, when you get a character with too many eyeballs, like an antithesis or a novel living darkness or a trigon, they're going to, uh, you know, feed off of your negative energy, uh, and, uh, the darkness inside your heart. So if you encounter one of those characters, you really need to, uh, guard your heart and make sure that, uh, you're not accessing the darkness within it. Whereas if it's, uh, Zahooks or a Shusha, he's just a nice guy with too many feet, and that's pretty neat. Also, Argus seems chill. I think it's kind of bullshit that he got stuck hanging out with peacocks now because those guys are assholes. Tell me about it. All right, eyes and feet, pretty neat. Got it. Well, the second part is important too, Corey. Eyeballs and tentacles guard your ventricles. That's right. Heart's just a big bunch of ventricles, right? Pretty much. Yeah, I mean, it's got other valves in there and stuff, but... Yeah, but people will often just say ventricles to mean heart, right? Sure. I, I hear it all the time. I mean, Valentine's Day is coming up, so... I know. Ventricle city. Yeah, man. Place is lousy with ventricles. Any gift shop you see. Ugh. Can't be over soon enough. I have just one more question I have to ask you. Corey, in the year of our Lord, 1982, and the month of our Lord, December, what Wong doings was Wong doing? So December of 82 finds Wong and Steve getting tired of the slush and the sleet and the cold that is winter in New York. And Wong has an idea. He says, hey, Steve, why don't we get away for a long weekend, maybe go somewhere and get some sun and... You know, we're also pretty much out of our uh, last batch of Jamaican incense. How about we go to the source? Oh. little vacation. And, you know, Steve is down for that. He, he thinks that sounds like a, a pretty fine idea. But turns out Wong had a, uh, an ulterior motive. And that's that. I don't know if this has come up on the, the segment before, but he's uh, an avid postage stamp collector. Oh, I don't know if that has come up. His uh, nascent philately. His nascent what? Philately. Stamp collecting. A philatelist is a stamp collector. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a fun word. So what would be the verb to perform stamp collection? <laughs> oh, that's fellatio. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. So, uh, yeah. I guess Wong, Wong's going to Jamaica to do that. Um, <laughs> because... The 29th of December was when they came out with the first uh, Bob Marley commemorative stamp. Mm. And I think it has been well established before that, that Wong is definitely a big music fan and really appreciates all of Bob Marley's work. 
so yeah, that's it. They went to Jamaica. He got a hold of his stamp and got a hold of their Jamaican incense. And it was just in the previous year, actually, that Jamaica's at the time Prime Minister Edward Sega had given a, a state funeral for Bob mm. Marley, who had passed away previously. And Wong, reading the excerpts of that, thought to himself, boy, it really sounds like uh, Steve had a hand in drafting some of the eulogy maybe under the influence of some of that Jamaican incense, because part of the eulogy reads, His voice was an omnipresent cry in our electronic world. His sharp features, majestic looks, and prancing style, a vivid etching on the landscape of our minds. Bob Marley was never seen. He was an experience that left an indelible imprint with each encounter. Such a man cannot be erased from the mind. He is part of the collective consciousness of the nation. Oh, that's nice. And it does sound maybe like it was lifted from Steve's diary when yeah. he was writing about himself. A little bit Stevie. But uh, yeah, that's one of the things they were up to, getting some stamps and some incense and thinking about eulogy for a, a truly mm. great musician. Well, that may be one thing that Wong was up to, but it wasn't the only thing that Wong was up to in December of 1982. The other thing that Wong was up to was worrying about Steve. Because he knew that Steve was in a far-off dimension, and that dimension's version of Washington, D.C. was where he thought Steve was headed, because he had picked up vibes about President Kyle, and the early parts of this adventure he knew some of what the Defenders do, were doing centered around D.C. in an alternate dimension. And so he went into Steve's study, and he started consulting the Orb of Agamotto. Uh, Steve's mystical Google search engine. And after willfully disregarding the search history, because he is a good roommate, <laughs> Wong asked the Orb of Agamotto to seek out what is happening in an alternate universe, Washington, D.C. And the Orb needed a little bit more information than that, because there's a lot of different alternate universe Washington, D.C.'s. So the orb uh, asked Wong for more data to input. And Wong was like, well, there would be like colorful, muscular characters there, uh, colorfully dressed, very muscular, superhero looking characters. I, I believe August Masters was going to be there. So there would be like a dangerous, violent psychopath who is erratic and unpredictable would be there as well. And the orb was like, oh, OK, I think I know what you're talking about. But the orb got confused, as sometimes I get confused and was looking in 1983 instead of 1982 in December. <laughs> and uh, what it came up with was it just showed Wong through the orb of Agamotto, the movie DC Cab, which had Mr. T. And the Barbarian Brothers, who were bodybuilding identical twins. So the colorfully dressed, very muscular characters and the violent, dangerous, erratic psychopath. Gary Busey's in that movie. Oh, jeez. So Wong just ended up watching DC Cab uh, through the orb of Hagamoto. <laughs> it's like, that eh, movie wasn't very good and it was kind of racist. but. And Mr. T, and there were parts that I liked. And that's what Wong was doing in December of 1982, 
watching a movie from December of 1983 because both the Orb of Agamotto and myself got confused about the year. <laughs> can't, can't win them all. Nope. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Quite all right. It's, it's happened to me before. Well, Corey, thank you so much for joining me and uh, talking about this comic book. I had a pretty nice time. You're welcome. I enjoyed it, too. We'll be back next week to uh, find out what's going on with those rascally new titans over there in their comical book. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks to look at what looks like a really weird Defenders story. In fact, I believe the next Defenders issue bills itself as the weirdest Defenders story yet, which uh, is really saying quite a bit. Mm. In the meantime, if you would like to get into touch with us, we can be reached at ttwasteland at gmail.com or via our post office box at Titan Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon, 97294. We're also up on social media to various extents. You can find us on the Twitter, the Tumblr, the Facebook, a uh, little bit on Instagram, some LinkedIn, some Sea Captains Only, probably Friendster. We're not on Friendster, though. That was a lie that I just told for no reason other than to make myself feel like a big man. That's not how I should feel like a big man. I should feel like a big man by getting a tiny can of Dr. Pepper. It's cool. It makes you feel like a giant. But you have. Yeah, I, I know. That's why I don't need to lie anymore, Corey. Oh, thank God. I know. <laughs> so if you want to hear me say dumb shit like that little ramble, you can find me on social media. But hey, if you can't find me there, there's one more place you can look. And that's deep inside your heart. Corey, what are you going to be doing inside people's hearts this week? Probably trying to study up on seabirds. I've been learning about seabirds, too. Corey, I saw a blue heron the other day. Oh, no kidding. It was great. Did it uh, catch fish? I think it probably did. If it didn't, it was going to pretty soon. Those guys are good at uh, fish catching. Also, mm -hmm. terrifying. Like, that bird looks like it would just fuck you up if you started anything. But it also does look like if you don't start none, there won't be none. Yeah, I think they're chill as far as birds go. Yeah, they're just so pointy. Oh, sure. Yeah, don't mess with it. Well, I wasn't going to. Why would you do that? I wouldn't, Corey. Oh, I'm not going to. It was cool. I liked seeing it. Oh, okay. It was, it was nice. I was exploring some tide pools. Mm. I saw a bunch of hermit crabs. Love those things, man. See any uh, purple starfish? I did. And this week in people's hearts, I will be trying not to giggle when I hear the phrase purple starfish. Good luck. If you would like to support the show monetarily, you can check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do, you get access to a whole bunch of bonus material that is up there exclusively for our donors. There's some bonus podcasts that I've done over the years with Corey and various other friends of the show. There is the Howard the Duck podcast that I co-host with my wife, Lisa. That is called What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. Uh, there's 30 some odd episodes of that and counting. Should be another one going up pretty soon. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff that is up there. Just to thank people who have donated to the show for donating and making it possible for us to keep doing the show. So thank you so much for that. 
Corey, if people would like to support the show in a non-financial way, how might they go about doing that? The two most obvious choices are leave a review that says even Doug Flutie couldn't believe what they had done. Five stars. Yep, I think that's a very solid choice. I do not consider myself a football fan. Uh, I think we both discussed I'm probably not going to watch the Super Bowl, which is today. But I think I just inherited enough of my dad's investment in any sport that I am watching at the time that I still got really upset about a coaching decision made like more than 20 years ago regarding Doug Flutie. Stupid fucking Wade Phillips decided to start Rob Johnson over Doug Flutie in like the playoffs and it was fucking garbage. And I'm still getting heated thinking about it right now. And I really don't care very much about football. Five stars. Yeah, five stars. Yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big football person. Not liking this podcast would be stupider than Wade Phillips starting Rob fucking Johnson over Doug Flutie in the playoffs. Five stars. All good examples. So you can probably do that wherever you got your podcast from. Mm-hmm. Or who knows, probably other places. Yeah. Well, what, what's Maybe the other way? You said there were two obvious ways to support the show. Ah, uh, yes. The other one is to just uh, spread the word in a way other than leaving a review, such as by talking to people. Hmm. Who would be a person you could talk to about the show? Probably a friend or a neighbor. What about a trained professional? Always talk to a trained professional, Hub. That's a good call. Yeah. Just let them know. Hey, you need a little uh, levity? Oh, it's okay. You don't have to really like comic books. Just listen to these two goofballs. They'll make you laugh. Yeah. Oh, you know who you shouldn't talk to the show about? Huh. Wade Phillips. Because they'll probably get mad at me about what I just said. Okay. Yeah. So everybody except Wade Phillips. Also, if you're Wade Phillips, fuck you. Oof. No, seriously, fuck Wade Phillips. That was a long time ago. Yeah. Still carrying, carrying a grudge. Yeah, Pepperidge Farms remembers. What? There used to be those ads where the old man would be like, do you remember when cookies weren't all bullshit? Pepperidge Farms remembers. Oh. Yeah, I mean, yes, yeah, you could talk about the show over a nice bag of Sausalitos. If they're soft-baked. We've been over this. <laughs> Well, I'm not bringing any fucking Milano's, that's for sure. Milano's, like I said, the Milano's have enough nostalgia factor that I'll, I'll, I'll put up with them, but crumbly, crunchy cookie bullshit is bullshit. I'm not as mad at crumbly cookies as I am at Wade Phillips, but don't recommend the show to either of those things. First of all, Cookie can't listen to a podcast. I'm sorry, they don't have ears. And some of them are shaped like they like like ears a little bit, like a seashell looking cookie. But that's not an actual ear. It doesn't function. Cookies don't have ears. And if they do, they're non-functioning ears. So don't bother playing a podcast for them. Yep. And Wade Phillips doesn't have ears when I'm done with him. Oh, boy. Well, in summation, fuck you, Wade Phillips. Five stars. Bye. Bye. And they know it. Bye.
Did you ask about what we're doing in people's hearts? Yes. I oh, I was learning about seabirds. <laughs> I, got, I, I got so uncomfortable with all the Wade Phillips bashing. <laughs> a, little, a little befuddled. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's just very strong language. <laughs> oh, I'm a strong man. A tiny can of soda. <laughs> <laughs>